Jesus went on to say, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father? They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that, her, that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until, until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe? Jesus replied. A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Uh, my name's Paul, um, and I'm going to be speaking, as Angie said, from uh, this passage uh, in John, uh, John chapter 16. If you've got a Bible, maybe open it on page 1084. Um, but as you do that, I just want to take you this morning on, on a memorable journey. I don't know if you've ever had a journey that you will never forget. Um, and there's a journey that I want to share with you this morning that, that I won't ever forget. I've had a few unforgettable journeys. Um, I won't share with you the time I was traveling across Australia and we ran out of petrol in the middle of the outback. That was pretty memorable. Um, I won't share with you the time we traveled from, from New York to L.A. on a Greyhound bus that was pretty memorable too. Um, and seeing you guys this morning, I was thinking of Sri Lanka and the time we had a taxi ride in, in Colombo, um, which was also pretty memorable, as, as I'm sure you'd understand. So yeah, lots of memorable journeys. But this memorable journey um, was one you may have done yourselves. It was from Beggarbush Lane um, up in Abbots Lee, um, traveling to Totterdown, just around the corner. And it was a memorable journey. And it wasn't memorable particularly because of the company that I had. I was traveling with my, one of my best friends, Matthew Wright, and we just played a game of late night badminton up at Redwood Lodge um, on Beggarbush Lane. 
And it wasn't particularly the car he was driving. I think it was a Honda Civic. He was driving, I was the passenger. Not particularly memorable. Um, and it was partly to do with the music we were listening to. We were listening to a track by a band called R.E.M. And it was called The End of the World As We Know It. And Matthew and I, like R.E.M., Matthew's a massive fan, and we were singing, we won't recreate it for you this morning, we were singing at the tops of our voices with the windows down, R.E.M., it's the end of the world as we know it. But the reason that this journey was memorable was because of the date, because it was September the 10th, 2001. September the 10th, 2001. And we were driving along Beggarbush Lane singing, it's the end of the world as we know it, at about 10 o'clock at night. And 12 hours later was September the 11th, when two planes slammed into the Twin Towers. And a few hours later, both of those enormous towers collapsed and thousands of people died. And for many reasons, that was at that moment the end of the world as we knew it to that point. Things were different from then on. Things were different if you traveled, if you, if you flew in an airplane, things were different. Security measures were different. Just the thought that someone would do that, would kill themselves to make a point and kill all those people with them. The world was different and it was a memorable journey. And I want to tell you this morning what Jesus is trying to do with the disciples. And I want us to think about um, this is one of his final conversations that he has with the disciples in this way. And what he's trying to say to the disciples is, this is going to be the end of the world as you know it. Something is going to happen very, very soon that's going to change the way you see the future. And if it, the future is something that you just won't understand. And you can see in this passage they're struggling to get it. Jesus is trying to prepare them for a future that they just don't understand. And I just want to explain what that future was for the disciples. And I want to say to you this morning that Jesus may be preparing you for a future that you just don't understand. It could be that as you walk out of those doors into the sunshine today, you walk into a different future, a future that until this point you haven't understood. Maybe it will be the end of the world as you know it, even this morning as you walk through those doors and understand this new future that Jesus was trying to dis describe to the disciples and that he's going to unpack to us this morning as well. And I want you to marvel at the future that Jesus could be showing you, an exciting future that you just hadn't anticipated, a view of the world that's never been pointed out to you before. I stood under the Twin Towers 10 years earlier in 1990, and if you'd have said to me, these enormous structures are going to come tumbling down in 10 years' time, I just wouldn't have believed you. It would have been a future that wasn't on my radar. There's no, it would be inconceivable to think that, that that would happen. And that's exactly what happened 10 years later. And you see Jesus here describing to the disciples um, this future. And we, how are the disciples feeling at this point? Let's just walk in their shoes for a little bit. How are they feeling? And if you look, we looked a couple of weeks ago at chapter 16 and verse 6. It says they're filled with grief. And it says they don't understand what 
is going to happen to them. It's going to be more than they can bear. The, the disciples are feeling nervous. They're feeling sad. They're feeling mournful. They're confused. They're trying to find out answers to questions. The world is a confusing place to them right now, and Jesus doesn't seem to be making it any clearer for them. And it wasn't just that they were anxious and they were grieving. They were going to make some mistakes as well. They were going to be failures. And Jesus is showing them a future that even though they will fail God, they can be accepted by God. Now, we're just going to quickly read through the passage because we know lots of stuff now that the disciples didn't know when Jesus was speaking to them. And that helps us to understand the passage. So what do we know? Well, we know now that Jesus died on a cross at Easter time, right? We understand that story. We know that Jesus then rose from the dead on the third day. Do you remember he came out of the tomb? And we know that he was then seen by his disciples for about a month or so. He was seen by lots and lots of people. Hundreds of people saw him, and he was there again ministering with them. And then we know he then took his disciples, and he went up a mountain, and he went back into heaven. So these are things that we now know that the disciples didn't know at the time. And we're going to quickly read through um, this passage, or part of this passage, and and maybe with that in mind, it even helps us to see more clearly what Jesus was trying to say to the disciples about this future. So verse 16 on page 1084, John 16, 16, Jesus went on to say, in a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me. So we get that now, right? In a little while you're not going to see me because I'm going to be killed on the cross, put in the tomb, so you won't see me, and then you're going to see me again when I rise from the dead. Straightforward for us. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then you'll see me? Because I'm going to the Father, they kept asking, what does he mean by in a little while? We don't understand. Well, we know in a little while was the three days. That little while was three days that Jesus was in the tomb. And Jesus saw they wanted to ask him about this, and he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. They're going to be really sad. Again, we looking back, get the disciples are going to be really sad, but the world is going to rejoice. People were happy that Jesus was killed. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. And so we start to understand what Jesus means because we've got the benefit of hindsight, which the disciples didn't have. There's a few things that I just want to point out that Jesus points out to them. The first one is this. He points out that there is a future where they will be accepted by God. Look at verse 29. Um, Jesus' disciples said, Now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see what you know, all th- that, that you know all things. Ev- Sorry, now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. And then Jesus says, do you now believe a time is coming and in fact has come where you'll be, you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Jesus says, well, you say that you get it. You say that you understand these things, but do you really? When it happens, you're going to fail me. You're going to let me down. There's going to be failure in your lives. But Jesus goes on to say, You will leave me all alone, let yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have told you these things so that you may have peace. 
In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so Jesus knows, even as he begins to tell them, he knows at the end of this section that he's going to be saying to them, look, you, you don't really get it. You're going to fail me. But there's a way that you can have peace. There's a way that you can be accepted by God. And that very way is the way that, of the cross. It's because Jesus loved them. He knew that he was going to die so that he would take the punishment for the sins they were even going to commit over the next few days. And he knew there was a way that he could um, bring them peace with God. And God deals with that sin. This was off their radar. It was unexpected. They never really understood that's what Jesus meant until Jesus died on the cross, until Jesus rose again. But Jesus explained to them that there is a future where they can be accepted by God. And he also explained to them there was a future where they could be talking to God. Verse 23, in that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. So he says now that they may have this peace with God, um, they may also come to God. There is a way that they can come direct to God. They'd always had Jesus there. Jesus had been walking with them. If they'd had questions, they would go up to him and, and ask him. But when Jesus was preparing them for a time when he wasn't there, we heard when Simon spoke a couple of weeks ago, he was going to leave the Holy Spirit with them. And we see the Trinity here. We see God the Son saying, you come to God the Father in my name, in the power of the Holy Spirit. God is there saying, you can speak to me, disciples. They hadn't really had to pray to God the Father before in this way. Jesus had always been there. But now they don't just keep asking Jesus questions. They can ask anything they like in Jesus' name. What an amazing thing for them to hear. Now, one of the reasons that Jesus didn't come to earth in 1985 or in 2001 is that we don't speak Greek very much. And the Greek language was the best language for God. The New Testament was written in Greek to explain and tell the stories of what happened. And the reason is they have lots of extra words that we don't have. And just understanding this helps us to understand a little bit about what's being said in verse 23. Because it says, in that day you will no longer ask me anything. But then he says, very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask. So it seems to be a bit of a contradiction. It's a bit weird for even us to understand. But that first word, ask, in, in Greek there's these two words for ask. There's ask questions to get information, ask things. And there's another word for ask, which is ask what you need. Ask what you need, like a child will ask its dad what, what, what something that they need. And so this just helps to explain this verse to us that's a little bit confusing, because he's saying, you won't be coming to me asking lots of questions, because you'll see, you'll understand that I had to die and rise from the dead. But now you can come to me and ask the things that you need. In Jesus' name, you can come to me by your Holy Spirit and ask anything in Jesus' name. So that just helps explain that little section to us, which is a little bit confusing. 
But even this is a whole new future that they weren't expecting. They really thought Jesus was going to win some kind of war and be some kind of physical leader on earth. And Jesus was preparing them that this isn't the case. What he had in mind was much, much greater. And then he tells them about a future joy. And he gives them a promise. Now, there are lots of promises in the Bible. Um, Some promises you get on calendars, and some you get on screensavers, and some people send them to you in a card. We've had some lovely cards this week uh, from people in this church, and they've been full of the promises of God to remind us um, about how good God is and to remind us how we can trust in God. But this promise in verse 33, um, none of you have sent this one in a card to us this week. It says, Jesus says in verse 33, in this world you will have trouble. In this world you will have trouble. This is a promise from the Bible that Jesus gives to his disciples and he says there will be trouble. And this promise comes true very soon for the disciples. If you turn over about five or six pages um, to Acts chapter 4, We're just going to read a a section of this because we see Peter and John. Here they are, these these grieving, these mourning, these mixed up, these confused guys. And something happens to them that changes them. And look at verse chapter 4 of Acts. This is some of the trouble that they get into. We'll read it really quickly, just this section. It says, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John. Because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. Many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers and elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? They'd just been healing people. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. That is the man who stands with, that the man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name in heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. They get into trouble. They're doing God's work. They're serving him. And trials and troubles and difficulties come. And Jesus promises them that that will happen. There'll be this trouble. But that verse doesn't finish in this world. You will have trouble. The very last words of the passage we read, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And you can see there Peter and John in Jesus' name, in his strength, standing up to this trouble, overcoming this trouble in Jesus, doing good works, proclaiming him. Go Peter, go John, isn't it? (laughs) Amazing. Here they are trembling with questions and confused. And then a few pages later, here they are standing up, explaining, proclaiming the Lord Jesus. 
See how God changed them from these anxious, grieving people for a force to be reckoned with. And this is a result of the encounter with the end of their old world and the beginning of the new world. They had a joy. They had a confidence. They, had, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they were joyful even when times were difficult. So there's three things then that Jesus wants them to know. Yes, it's the end of the world as they know it, but there is a future where they can be accepted by God. There's a future where they can talk and communicate with Almighty God. And there's a future of joy in God, overcoming evil. I wonder, is Jesus preparing you this morning for a future that you hadn't expected? I pray today is the end of the world as you know it. Because there is a future where you can be accepted by God. A time is coming and, is fact, and in fact has come when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. There's a time, even though we're failures, and the Bible says each of us have failed God. Maybe you've been scattered this week and you feel like you've run away from God. You're scattering from Him. You don't want to hear from Him. You're not interested. You're blocking it out with other things. You're confused, maybe. You're anxious. You worry. You've got loads of questions. Well, you can be accepted by God. There is forgiveness. Whoever you are here this morning whatever your background and whatever you have done. The disciples denied Christ in their speech to each other. They hurt each other. They hurt Jesus. They offended God. Whoever you've hurt, whatever you've said that let, has let God down, whatever you've done that you can't even bear thinking about because you're in a church, well, you can know peace. There will be punishment for what you've done. There will be punishment. But the amazing thing is, the punishment goes on Jesus. It won't go on you if you trust in him. If you love the Lord Jesus, if you recognize that you've failed, that your heart has been scattered elsewhere, you can come to God, you can pray to him for forgiveness, and the punishment is what happened in the next few days. When Jesus died on the cross, that bit that happens next, that's where your punishment went. That's why we go on about the cross so much. That's why we love that Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead because that's where my punishment is gone. Praise the Lord. And that's how we can know peace with God. That's how there can be a future where I am accepted by God. Not because I've done good things or put on a nice shirt. Well, not a very nice shirt. But because Jesus died and took the punishment for my sins. Friends, there's a future where you can talk to God. Verses 23 and 24. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Are you struggling to know joy? Come to the Lord. Pray to him. In the name of Jesus, we can come to God. Even the disciples didn't understand this. It was mind-blowing. 
And I don't know about you, but even in church when we're praying, I just get distracted and I struggle to focus. But we can come to God in the name of Jesus. There are loads of verses in... Um, here we are. Yeah, there are loads of verses in the Bible that encourage us to pray. I've written some of them down here to remind me. It says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. The Bible says, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Romans says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, even when we don't know what to pray. The Spirit himself intercedes with groanings too deep for words. Matthew says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. James says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power. Matthew says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Colossians, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful with thanksgiving. Rejoice always and pray without seeking. And on and on and on. We're encouraged throughout Scripture to pray. Let's open Psalm 91 together. It's going to go up on the screen as well. you're stuck in praying, just grab a psalm, any psalm. Psalm 91 says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Father God, we just thank you and praise you that we dwell in your shelter, that there's a rest for us in God. Verse 2 says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Father God, as we go into this week, back to school, back to exams, back to difficulties, back to work, you are our refuge. In you we can trust. We praise you. We thank you that we can trust you, Lord God. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with feathers. Under his wings you will find refuge. His, faith, his faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Lord, you're a God of comfort. You comfort us with your luxury and with your feathers. You give us so many good things. We thank you that we have the health and the strength to share together this morning. We thank you for this family that are around with us. Lord, we pray for each other. We pray for those who are going into exams this week who might be nervous. Those who don't know about their future. We commit those young people to you. We thank you for them. We thank you that they're here with us today. Lord, for those who are poorly and ill, those who are in pain right now watching on Zoom, we commit them to you. We pray for them here this morning. We thank you for this privilege that in Jesus' name, we can bring all of these things to you. We can pray to you and we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends, we can talk to God. If we're stuck, open a psalm and let's start there. Bring all the things that are on your mind, so many things that we can pray to, and know joy as we see those prayers answered. Did you know, if you grab your phone, the amazing thing is, um, Apple certainly, I've put an app on the phone now which tells you 
how much more time you can spend in prayer. So get your phones out and I'll show you where it is. They've installed it on every single phone. All you have to do, I think it works on Android. The cool kids on Android love to tell me. But go to your phone and scroll down and just type in screen time and then click on screen time in settings and that pretty much tells you how much extra time you can spend with God. Well, maybe not quite, but it certainly challenges me. When we're doom scrolling on Instagram, could we be praying to God? How are we using our time? When we're driving along, when we're doing jobs around the house, how can we be praying to God? We've got this amazing privilege that we can come to the Lord in prayer. Let's use it, brothers and sisters. There's a future where you can be accepted by God. There's this amazing privilege that we have. We can come to God in the name of the Lord Jesus. And finally, there's a future joy in God. We've read verse 33. I have told you these things so that you may have peace in this world. Peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. The Bible's always honest, isn't it? That life isn't going to be easy, there's going to be trouble, and you don't have to live too long before those troubles come along. And I've been helping down here at the church for the last few weeks, and I've seen some of these troubles. I've seen that people go through difficulties and troubles and trials. And if there's one promise in the Bible, I'm finding it easier and easier to believe working here at the church, it's that we will go through trouble. We hear of grief. We hear of mourning and pain. I've spoken to people with illness, with hard decisions to make, with tricky relationships, with imprisonment to mental health issues or addictions. And I've seen a little as I've talked and shared with people. And it's not just a few, it's everyone. I've been helping out a coffee stop, I've been helping out a club, and you see these troubles that come into our lives, don't they? In this world, we will have trouble. In this world, those in Headley Park will have trouble. And in verse 21 and 22, Jesus uses a picture which is an amazing picture because every person in any culture throughout history will understand this picture. And that's why Jesus uses this. So we all get it. In verse 22 and 23, So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. And verse 21 says, A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Jesus uses this picture of a woman giving birth, raw pain. That every culture understands what that means. Every language in the world understands what that means. And Jesus says there'll be trouble like raw pain in your life. And people here are going through trouble, raw pain in your heart, in your health, in your mind, struggles and issues. And it will be like that. But Jesus says, so with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice. And just like when the baby comes and there's joy, 
that pain is forgotten and it's turned into joy. And Jesus says it will be like that for us because Jesus is also pointing to a time when we will see him again. Yes, in this passage, he's talking about the next three days and, and the next month or so to the disciples about how he's going to be killed, about how he's going to be in the tomb and they're going to be mourning, how he's going to come back to life and how he's going to go back to heaven. But the language used points to us, to our eternal joy. And your pain right now is real and it hurts and it's hard. And Jesus doesn't belittle it in verse 21 because he talks about real, raw pain. And he understands and he gets it. And he's been there. But if we understand the promise that there'll be trouble, we've got to recognize that there will be a joy to come. And through your pain, Jesus will give you the strength. Look at the disciples. They were turned, changed from these anxious, mourning, worrying lads. And they were turned into conquering um, guys who are a force to be reckoned with by the authorities in the Jesus name and you can overcome the struggles and the trials and we will look towards a time when we will be joyful and we will be together again in heaven with no pain and with no stress and with no grief some of my best friends in this church um, are Romanian and hi to you guys um, I've recently discovered the story of a Romanian Christian called Richard Vermbrandt. He lived 1909 to 2001, and during the Second World War, in the face of Nazi opposition, he said that Christianity was not compatible with communism. Now, that didn't go down well, as you can imagine, and he was also involved in rescuing lots of Jews from the Nazis, and he would preach in the bomb shelters about Jesus to people. Eventually, he was imprisoned for nine years. He was a Christian, and boy, did he know trouble. But he's my new Romanian hero because he says, alone in my cell, cold and hungry and in rags, he says, I danced for joy every night, so filled with joy that I thought I would burst if I did not give it expression. I remember the words of Jesus, when men persecute you and hate you and cast out your name as evil, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. His experience of the Lord Jesus was such that even though he was going through the excruciating trials, he could still know joy. Now, I'm not always like that. I don't know about you. But in Jesus' name, we can pray for that, can't we? We can pray for each other that we would know joy even in our difficulties and trials. And after time in prison, he was reunited with his wife. And he said about meeting his wife for the first time, I thought she was more beautiful than ever. My eyes blurred. But when she put her arms around me, I made a great effort and said, before we kiss, I must tell you something. Don't think I've come from some misery to happiness. I have come from the joy of Christ in prison to the joy of being with him in my family. You see, he knew joy in the bad times and he knew this joy in the good times. He died in 2001 and maybe that story seems far away to you, but I see it played out in the lives of people here. And as we look around and we see our brothers and sisters 
that are going through struggles and trials, I don't know about you, but I can see joy in them. I can see that they're trusting in the Lord Jesus and that they're not victims to the circumstances that are happening around them because they are loved and wrapped up and comforted and given joy and hope and a new future by God. This isn't something that's in the pages of history. It's something that happens this week in Headley Park. And it can happen for you too. The disciples struggle to understand. But do you get it? Jesus died so that you can be accepted by God. This may be a future that you hadn't planned. But if God by his spirit is speaking to you this morning, then talk to me or talk to one of the leaders here today. And pray to the Lord when you get home. Go to him. Say to God that you're sorry for the things that you've done wrong and begin that lifelong communication with God, which may start in trouble, but will always end in joy. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this future that none of us expected, that you intervened in the world, that you died on the cross. We pray for each of us here this morning. This may be the end of the world as we know it. And we may step into a new life with a new strength, with a new friend, the Lord Jesus. A life where we want to serve God. And although that may cause us trouble in the weeks to come, we know that it will cause us joy in the eternity to come. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.